Well, here we go. It is Wednesday here on the Senate from Reality podcast. I'm sitting here drinking a nice ginger beer with lime, so a virgin Moscow mule. And no, for everyone who's asking, there is not alcohol in ginger beer. It's like root beer. They just call it that. Like, I don't think ginger beer is even made with the distillation process, so who knows. But sipping one of those, it's kind of cold outside again. I went on a run. On about mile seven, my fingers started going numb because the gloves I have here with me are thick, and thick gloves... Your hands also get wet. So it's just a fun mess. <laughs> really gloomy out, though. Like, the weather's just been kind of depressing here. Like, being back in the West Coast for a while, it was sort of nice because even though it was cold and we got weather, there's just a happiness that Chicago lacks. But it looks like my time is almost up in Chicago, so I'll save the bitchin' for today. But anyways, I want to talk about our buddy George Santos, or as some Democrats are calling him, the talented Mr. Ripley, which I think is a great way to describe him. Santos had a pretty depressing first day as a congressman, so we'll get into that and some investigations, because I just can't stop talking about this guy, because he's everything that's wrong. He's the culmination of Trumpism and lying and grifting, and I kind of love it, but also I think the guy should not be in Congress, so I'm kind of torn. I also then want to talk about kind of the schadenfreude um, involving Kevin McCarthy's failures, Kind of the fact that even though I'm laughing at someone's misery, it just feels right that Kevin McCarthy's now failed six votes to become speaker. I want to talk about that. And then I also want to talk about kind of the dark side of the NFL and kind of the moral dissonance that we keep being able to kind of reckon with. And this all comes after kind of a tragic incident in which DeMar Hamlin had to be resuscitated twice on the field on Monday Night Football, and it's kind of brought into question, A, conspiracies, and B, just like, what are we willing to tolerate involving the NFL? But but first, I want to say, and you guys probably don't care about this, but I'm going to say it anyways, because, hey, this is my show, and that's what I do. Um, I've, been, <laughs> I've been kind of torn on whether I should delete Truth Social or Truth Central or Truth Central, whatever you want to call it whether I should delete it. But every time I go on, it is a cesspool of just looking into a completely different reality. I was with a buddy of mine, we were driving in his car, and I couldn't stop looking. And like, you know, Mike Lindell's truths are fascinating. Ted Nugent's truths are fascinating. Trump suits are truths, Jesus, Trump truths, that's a hard one to say, say that five times. His truths are just fascinating as well. I just, it really lets you into the mind of a completely alternative political universe, right? It's an anti-vax, dog whistle, election conspiracy, anti-Biden cesspool. And I'm here for it, not because I support any of it, but because it's just fascinating. And, you know, Twitter seemed to kind of be like the propaganda side of the New York Times until Elon Musk came along. And, you know, Twitter used to kind of be the gatekeeper for a lot of what the mainstream media was doing. That's changed, obviously, since Elon's owned it. But it seems like Truth Social is kind of the the gatekeeping for the fringe now. And even though it's completely modeled and stolen off Twitter's platform completely, looks completely the same, it's fascinating. And I encourage people to download it. (laughs) Actually, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe I'm just addicted to, like, what I see on there. But it's much more entertaining than Twitter. And if you want to get a grip of what Trump is thinking, go on there. And I do not work for Truth Social or Truth Central or Truth Central. So, yes. Anyways, let's get right into our good buddy, the man of the hour, 
the most honest human being in congressional history, and that is our friend George Santos. I thought it would be useful to note that Santos, who has pretty much <laughs> lied about everything, like literally everything, spent his first day in Congress completely shunned by his Republican colleagues. And, you know, it's not like the Republican side is really like the bastion of morality and honor and conduct and rules, but it's, it's a new low when you're shunned by the House Republicans because of your lack of shame. And there's some, oops, we got a horn. And it's, it's pretty, pretty funny because I recommend watching some of the videos of Santos like entering the House chambers. He pretty much, like, like reporters are following him, just trying to ask questions, and he just avoids them no matter what. Some ask him, are you going to have you know, your two years here? Do you support McCarthy? And this guy is just running. At one point, he even goes down into like an elevator shaft by accident. And I guess the question I have about this guy is like, how does his time in office go? If he won't answer any questions, he's unpopular with everyone, he's being investigated by now multiple different individuals, which we'll talk about in a minute. Like, how does this end for him? But obviously time will tell. I think eventually there's going to have to be some sort of conversation about this because he's just a kind of a shame, even though he's shameless. But the Washington Post has a pretty funny article from yesterday, and it's called George Santos Had an Awkward First Day at the Office. And it was like that kid at the first day of a new school who kind of like doesn't fit in or maybe he's there because of, you know, he got kicked out of the other school. Let's just say if his parents asked how his first day of school was, he would probably say it didn't go well. And the article just shows, like this Washington Post article that is, has a great photo that shows him sitting by himself looking like the fool he is, right? And you have people in different sides sitting together and he's just in a bench by himself looking awkward like that loner kid. And... You just have to wonder, like, <laughs> what did he expect to happen, right? And also, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if I should mention this, but there's a video of him picking his nose while he's sitting alone in the house. That sums it all up. But anyways, the article writes in quotes here, On Tuesday, looking very much like a freshman at a prep school in hell, <laughs> I love that, Congressman-elect George Santos wore a black backpack, a periwinkle sweater underneath his navy jacket, and a sullen face with darting eyes of, or sorry, with darting evasive eyes, as if looking to see if anyone on Capitol Hill was going to accuse him of yet another lie about the basic facts of his existence. That is awesome. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think the best way to sum up Santos is that he really basically is the talented Mr. Ripley. And for those who haven't seen it, Matt Damon basically just plays a character who steals someone else's life, lies about everything, and it's quite a dark movie filmed on the Amalfi Coast and in other parts of Italy, by the way. Really good movie. But it's kind of just about a sociopath who steals Jude Law's life and girlfriend and has no shame in doing it. He makes up going to college and knowing Jude Law there. He makes up pretty much everything. Great movie, kind of very dark. And that's exactly what Santos is kind of doing. Now, hopefully he doesn't start killing people. Um, might be a little bit different if that's the case but yeah a lot of democrats are really calling him that and it is so true he is the talented mr santos ripley and the other interesting thing to mention about our buddy santos is that there's a new investigation coming from brazilian authorities he is now being investigated by the attorney general of new york the district attorneys of both nasa county and queens and now the government of Brazil. And the Brazil thing is interesting. Like, we've gone into the fraud and all the other 
scandals he's had. We've gone into him lying about his mom dying in 9-11 and all, all the other stuff, so I'll spare the time. But the Brazil thing is pretty fascinating to me. And according to CNN, it writes here in quotes, he admitted, to, he admitted to stealing a man's checkbook that was with his mother's possession to purchase clothing and shoes in 2008 in Brazil. And <laughs> I guess from my understanding, the Brazilian authorities were not able to investigate him because they didn't know where he was. But, you know, since he's kind of become a public figure and he's ran for Congress and won, now the Brazilians know where they are and they are now investigating him again. He's admitted to this. It just, again, brings up into question what is real about this guy? <laughs> it's like, what is real about this guy? Like, and he's also willing to steal from people. Like, this is Mr. Ripley. This is really Mr. Ripley here. But anyways, like, this guy's also kind of an idiot because if you're hiding from Brazilian authorities, don't become a big public figure in a different country, right? We do have extradition treaties as well with Brazil. Like, I don't know if it's going to go that far, but... I just think there comes a time when the Republicans are going to need to basically have some sort of conversation with him or have some sort of investigation into him because right now with the disarray and the chaos involving Kevin McCarthy, which we'll get to in a little bit, the Republicans don't need this type of chaos as well because it's just going to make their lives a living hell. I truly think that. And I wonder if his second day went well. We'll have to check up on that later on, but moving on. I'm sure a lot of you have seen by now, or heard at least, about the pretty tragic events that happened on Monday Night Football. This is not a sports podcast, but I think there are some things to talk about here. And this is when DeMar Hamlin, who is a corner, cornerback for the Buffalo Bills, collapsed on the field. Basically, he was kind of hit across the chest, not very hard. He fell, he got up, and then he just like went down cold. And it was a pretty dark thing to watch. I had just got back like a few hours before this back into Chicago. I was, I, I'm doing dry January, but I still went to a bar with a friend to watch the game. I was drinking one of my Virgin Moscow Mules, and he was having a beer, and we were catching up. And then we both looked up and wondered why the game had just kind of been paused. Like, we're like, why are the commentators still here? Because, like, it's still into the first quarter. Like, there shouldn't be halftime yet and all that. And once we looked online and then saw the game had been postponed, then we saw a big circle of people praying and then we're like, oh shit, like this must be pretty serious. So we looked it up and we saw that something truly bad had happened. And I'm not a medical expert at all, so I'm not going to do a lot of speculation here. But from my understanding, Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and collapsed on the field during the Monday night game against the Bengals. And as of Wednesday, he's still in critical condition. And the team is saying he is showing signs of improvement. But I guess they still haven't been able to relieve a tube from his throat that's been giving him air. So still not great. But uh, it looked like the hit somehow probably caused this. Again, he had to be resuscitated twice on the field. People are crying. Game gets postponed and then eventually canceled. Or at least they're not playing it again this week. Quite a strange series of events, I guess. And I do have to say at least one positive. I mean, it's not really positive, but... One thing that gave me hope, I guess, would be the better way for me to put it, is that it was heartwarming to see both teams hugging, praying, and deciding to po like postpone the game, give up the win, and from that, it was at least good to see. Like you had Joe Burrow and Josh Allen like talking, you had the coaches showing compassion. 
the fans all praying even outside the hospital, you know, that was good, I guess. But for as bad as things looked on the ground, it was nice to see people come together. Now, I'm not going to stay on this topic for too much longer just because all of the sports broadcasts I like have done a pretty good job of addressing this, but I do want to talk about two things. Um, The conspiracies that have started, which are tasteless and too early involving this tragedy, and then I want to discuss whether there's going to be a reckoning or anything here. So first, we have conspiracies. It was probably about less than 30 minutes after Hamlin collapsed that social media started to blow up with anti-vaccine theories. And I saw in places like Reddit, definitely on Facebook, and other places as well, even on some news outlets on Twitter, right-wing figures, whatever, I saw a lot of talk about the vaccine causing this death. And there is something that needs to be noted here. I guess, I guess you could say that the theory goes around this idea of died suddenly. It was kind of a movement that's been debunked. And it basically says that the vaccine causes mitocarditis. And there's a lot of young athletes dropping dead, like suddenly, hashtag suddenly died after taking the vaccine. Now, it's, it's no lie that the vaccine has been reported to cause mitocarditis sometimes in a very small percentage of younger men like a very, very small percentage of younger men. And that while that part is true, it does seem to be debunked that athletes are just dropping dead. Like, you would hear about it, okay? Like, I think that's the big crazy thing with these conspiracy theorists when it comes to the vaccine is that they, they say, oh, there's all these athletes dropping dead. We just don't hear about it. It's like, no, I don't think they would want to cover that up if it was happening because it's, it's kind of bad for Pfizer. It's kind of bad for Moderna. It's bad for all the other ones. It's bad for the CDC. Like, why would they do that? Also, we also just shouldn't speculate about that because who knows if Hamlin was even vaccinated. There's NFL players that aren't vaccinated. Maybe he was vaccinated. But then what if he wasn't? And these conspiracy theorists are just kind of jumping ahead on this. And I think it's just kind of stupid and dangerous. And For example, you had Charlie Kirk, who's really fun, definitely does kind of run the right, in my opinion. He said on Twitter, in quotes here, this is a tragic and all too familiar sight right now. Athletes dropping dead suddenly. And that's back to that died suddenly movement. And I I think, I mean, I think it's just kind of annoying because they're kind of just exploiting this tragedy. Let's just think about Occam's razor here and... I think the more obvious thing that happened is that he was hit hard in the chest and this caused some sort of cardiac event. And I read earlier today when I was looking into this a little bit more that this actually did happen in 1999, which, if you guys remember, long before COVID or the COVID vaccines. But apparently in 98, there's this former NHL player named Chris Pronger, and he also went into cardiac arrest mid-game after taking a hockey puck to the chest, to the chest, just like our player here got hit in the chest. And actually, Pronger, since what happened to Hamlin has occurred, he put out a statement saying that this is potentially what happened to Hamlin. And so my point here is that before you listen to these anti-vaxxers, think about the more obvious reasons. And it does seem like there's a precedent for getting hit in the chest really hard and having cardiac events. So maybe it's not the vaccine, maybe it's that, but again, you just have people jumping to conclusions, exploiting a tragedy, seems to kind of be 
a problem in our culture right now. And now while I don't think the vaccine did this to Hamlin, there is a different darkness, and it's a darkness to the NFL that's getting more difficult, I guess you could say, to really ignore. And I'll, I'll start off by saying that this is coming from someone who just went to a Packers game, follows the Packers closely, loves the sport. But that being said, I think Mark Leibovich is, is, a guy, excuse me, is, is a guy that has a great article in The Atlantic that brings up some good points, and they are really points that can't be ignored. He writes here in quotes, Football is not life or death, or it shouldn't be. But watching the response to Hamlin's injury, I can't help but think that if the sport is about to undergo some, some hint of a reckoning, it will only be partial. Football was why we were all watching in the first place, and why this was so chilling. To separate the game from its danger would be impossible, much as it's attempted. And Leibovich continues, discussing how even though we are all shocked about what happened on Monday, we are all aware of the NFL's unspoken dark truth. And basically this dark truth, sorry we got a loud vehicle out there, Basically, this dark truth is that something like what happened to Hamlin is kind of an inevitability in the NFL, and it happens from time to time. And as much as we like to watch the sport and not talk about it, this happens sometimes. I mean, we can talk about the Tua thing earlier when, you know, he gets hit. You can see his fingers clench up, and then next week almost falls over himself. And it's just this inevitability. And I think what Leibovich is getting at in this Atlantic article is that we all do kind of have some moral dissonance that is centered around the NFL and its harsh realities. And I'm definitely guilty of this as well. So it's really not me lecturing. It's just kind of a true fact. And I think it was even Tom Brady that said something to the, to the effect of each Sunday being like a scheduled car crash. Yeah, when you're in scheduled car crashes every week, eventually there could be something that's life-threatening or puts you in the hospital in critical condition. It's unfortunately the way it is. And I think this is just hard to reckon with. But I, I don't particularly think the sport will ever be safe, no matter what we do. Because you have big guys with that speed going at each other. No matter what changes you make, it's difficult to make that safer. And... All these injuries this year, all these concussions and stuff like what happened to Hamlin, it makes you just think more about that. And I guess the question that we have to kind of wonder is whether this is how we want to function in our society. And I'm not saying we should get rid of football, but I think we need to be honest about it to ourselves and about the fact that it will never really change. And this event, like the Tua hits earlier this year and whatever other injuries seem to happen constantly, or the just waves of guys that retire while they're still young and in their prime, it makes you wonder. It really does. So we'll move on, but I think, I think away from the vaccine conspiracies involving Hamlin's injury and critical condition, there are real conversations that should be had, but no one really wants to have them. And I don't really want football to go to waste, so I guess I'm part of the problem here. Moving on to the main thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to tread on this lightly because things are changing so quickly that I've had to redo my notes and prep for this segment so many times. That's why the episode's a little late today. That's what you get when you wait too long. But anyways, yesterday, let's start with that, we saw our buddy, Kevin McCarthy, fail to get elected to be Speaker of the House by the GOP. And this was after the third round of votes. So this is yesterday. 
And somehow, which is always impressive to me, he actually lost people from the second round of votes that happened. So somehow as time has gone on, he's actually become less popular. And basically, beginning, what had to happen was that McCarthy needed to win over all but four of his colleagues. And now that gap is not going well for him. And it's kind of interesting because this is a guy who has kissed Trump's ass from the beginning. This is a guy who has tried to do everything that's right. And I think a lot of the really radical, right-leaning Republicans see him as a flexible, spineless guy who might get in the way of Trump's agenda. And for them, when he actually spoke out against Trump after January 6th, I think they kind of see this guy as a threat. And even as much of the ass-kissing he's done for Trump, it still might not be enough. And he's given them all these concessions except for just not being speaker. And it seems like that's what they want because he's conceded to them on everything and still they just will not vote for him. I think it's funny because it shows how kind of spineless and desperate he is to be in power or at least close to power. But it also shows how even his own party sees through him, even though while I I actually will say go into a little more detail later, but he's probably the least bad option, at least of the people we're talking about. But anyways... Yesterday, about almost two dozen, closer to 20, I guess, closer to 20 of his own party voted against him, and this kind of just showed us what a clusterfuck and a huge sign of chaos and disunity this is in the party. But of course, if that wasn't bad enough, it now looks like he has lost a fourth, fifth, and sixth round of votes, and no one's really budging. And he remains like somewhat pop you know, somewhat popular, somewhat optimistic here, but it's kind of funny to see. And I should note that things are changing. So at the time of this recording, he is not still speaker, but they are holding another vote later. So maybe he will by then, but it's just hard to do. So anyways, this, I think this segment will still remain somewhat relevant because I'm going to focus more on the chaos than the vote because even if he does get this by the time the recording comes out, the fact it's taken over six rounds is insane to me. So anyways, earlier today he lost a fourth vote and the Wall Street Journal has an article that writes here in quotes, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy's bid for Speaker of the House fell short in the fourth round of voting. Among GOP lawmakers, Mr. McCarthy received 201 votes. GOP holdouts threw their support in the fourth round behind Republican Representative Byron Donald, who dropped his support for Mr. McCarthy a day earlier, saying he he saw no way for him to win. Mr. Donald received 20 votes. That was earlier today. And now, like I said, since that article was published, he also lost a fifth and then a sixth vote. And now closer, about 30 minutes ago, CNN has noted that, in quotes here, Leaving the floor after his sixth failed bid to become Speaker, the House GOP leader, Kevin McCarthy, told CNN he and others would now sit down and talk, which I'm assuming they've been doing. So now we've seen six votes, still no Speaker, and like I said a little bit ago, they are going to be meeting at 8 p.m. again, so maybe they're going to vote. Maybe he gets it then, but it sounds like it's been a long day. And for a guy who was pretty excited about being Speaker, I'm kind of digging all of this, and... I was looking at that CNN article I mentioned a few minutes ago, and it says this is how the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds of voting played out. And again, this is always interesting. 212 votes for Akeem Jeffries, who will be the House Minority Leader after Pelosi stepped down. He's a Democrat. So it's, he has 
unanimous support inside of the Democratic side of the House, which is a good you know, show of unity. Then it says McCarthy 201, so not that 218 he needs. Then you have 20 for Donald's and one present vote, so I love that. And again, I do think that McCarthy probably would be better than some of these nutbags, but I don't really see that happening, at least as of now. But then again, because he doesn't stand for anything, he also could be worse than some of these other guys. Now, I've seen people talk about Jim Jordan. Uh, Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates seem to be behind Jim Jordan. Some people are, and Jim Jordan has actually now said he doesn't want to do it. And some people are like, well, he's like George Washington. Washington didn't want to be president, but he was. I'm like, I don't think Jim Jordan's like Washington, but interesting. But the bigger point here is that I think this failure for McCarthy to get elected as speaker, as well as the chaos in the GOP, is just kind of fitting. And call me a bad person, <laughs> but I do feel a sense of just schadenfreude over McCarthy's failures. Just because he's been such a sycophant and he's followed in John Boehner and Paul Ryan's shoes to see how you don't piss off Trump to get what you want. And, you know, he's been spineless for so long. And this is a guy who likes power, wants to be around power. And he still might not get power after all this. And there's just something very kind of awesome about that. There's some, Even though I'm enjoying another person's misery, which is not good, I think that's why karma, even though I, some, I don't, sometimes don't believe in karma because I don't seem to get good karma, but in this case, it does seem like it's kind of coming to bite him, and I guess it's kind of nice to see that. The Economist has a really great line from one of its articles from, the spo- from this morning, and it writes here, this is a spectacle, and the spectacle reminiscent of a popple conclave minus the smoke, and it's remarkable, a century-old format of political jockeying revived. Also, according to The Economist, in quotes, McCarthy's struggles are almost historic. The last time a vote for Speaker failed on its first attempt was a century ago, when Frederick Gillett clinched it after nine rounds of voting. Still, that was not as bad as the drama of 1855, when the House, mirrored in conflict over slavery, took two months and 103 rounds of voting to pick a Speaker. Now, I don't know if McCarthy's going to need 133 rounds, but nine, like our buddy Frederick Gillett in the 1920s, that could be a thing. Pretty impressive, or I guess unimpressive, right? I should also note that I kind of alluded to this earlier, but if things were not already bad enough, Democratic House leader Hakeem Jeffries even received more votes than McCarthy in all three rounds of voting. Now, it doesn't matter because he's probably not going to become Speaker because they're not the majority party, right? And this just shows, I think, Democrats sending a single of, a signal of unity. But it is kind of just a big sign about how chaotic things in the GOP are right now. There was also reporting, I believe it was in The Intercept today. And it, it came because there was a video of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Matt Gates talking yesterday. And according to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in this Intercept article... Matt Gates, I guess, approached her and wanted to know if Democrats were going to bail out would-be Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I guess the idea was that maybe Democrats would try to keep him in instead of someone more radical, so they would just vote a president or something. And AOC basically told Gates, no way in hell. Well, she said, actually, in quotes, not a chance. And The Intercept writes here, McCarthy has been telling Republicans that he would be able to cut a deal with Democrats to vote president enabling him to win a majority of those present and voting. 
But apparently that's not going to happen. So McCarthy's confidence, at least in this, might be problematic. And I think that's, that's even more <laughs> it's even more the schadenfreude I, I was thinking about earlier because there's just something so fitting about all of this. Now, the fact that McCarthy can't be speaker after six votes and counting is just so telling. The problem here is that because the GOP just holds such a small, small majority in the House, he kind of needs support from everyone, right? He needs support from the centrists. He needs support from the white, the white ring, the right wing flank of the GOP. And that's the majority he needs. And he kind of wants everything. And to make matters worse, it's becoming more and more clear that the GOP just doesn't really know what it stands for or what it wants to do. Yes, they want to, you know, impeach Mayorkas, investigate Hunter Biden, but they don't want to do any policy. And as the New York Times writes, it says here in quotes, should it basically, actually a little context. So the article is talking about like, what does the party want? And it says here in quotes, should it continue down the path that Trump began when he won the nomination for president in 2016? Or should the party moderate, moderate and embrace more compromise to consolidate power? And I think this just leads to the biggest issue that the party has at this time. And some want to move on from Trumpism, and others do not even want to compromise with or work together with people that don't embrace Trumpism. And Kevin McCarthy is a problem to them because while he's allies with Marjorie Taylor Greene, he actually can speak with her and be in a room with her. He also was not a fan of what happened on January 6th, even though he's walked back some of his criticism. And he's not really seen, I think, as a real strong Trump defender, even though he's kissed Trump's ass the whole time. And this is just a big problem because the specter of Trump is not going away and the shadow of Trumpism is kind of looming over the party. And I think this just shows us that Republicans in the House are more like a parliamentary coalition than a one party, right? And what I mean here is that it almost feels like instead of being a party, there are different coalitions that try to function together. For example, in a parliament in a place like, I don't know, Spain or France or Sweden or wherever else you want, usually a center-right party, for example, or a center-left party, but we'll use the center-right example, they would have to form a coalition with maybe another centrist party or maybe a far-right group just to form a government. This happens in Germany all the time. And in this case, it seems like while the moderates have mainly backed McCarthy, so you have your, your like center-right coalition... There's also other groups like the Freedom Caucus that could be its own coalition and maybe the Crazy Caucus like Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, Jim Jordan. All of them have different views and interests. And so it's really hard to form a government if we're, if we're going on that parliamentary example when there's so many conflicting interests and you can't form a coalition. And this phenomenon really isn't that new because John Boehner was a victim of this as well. I remember reading his book. I think it was on the House. And... He talks just about how Mark Meadows basically forced him to resign, right? And when he steps down, eventually Paul Ryan gets in there. He also has these issues. They become kind of victims of radical demands that aren't really possible. And it just seems like things have really accelerated. They haven't really come out of nowhere. And because of this... <laughs> I do think there's something kind of positive that can come out of all this infighting and chaos because the Republicans don't have the White House or the Senate, and they might not be able to actually get much done or at least 
flock that much because if you have a unified Democratic side and then this, it might be hard for them to do much. Like, of course, they're going to try to investigate Hunter Biden. But if they fail to do anything productive, they might actually have electoral struggles, at least. And at this point, they need to keep losing because all they care about is power. So maybe that's not the worst thing. Now, I'll add, and this is only speculation, but I, I think it's probably going to become true, is that I do think that McCarthy is going to become the speaker eventually <laughs> because Trump has even, you know, milk toast wise expressed support. And people like Jim Jordan really don't want it. Now, maybe in a few days, if things continue, we'll start talking about some of the alternatives. But McCarthy still has the majority of the support, right? Like, the majority of the caucus, like 85-90% still want him. So a lot's going to happen before he's not speaker. But it does just show all the issues. Now, I want to end this episode with a quote from David Graham in The Atlantic. And he has a great article from last night. He writes here in quotes, and, and, he, and I guess he kind of speculates on why McCarthy's struggled. And I think it's a good way to put it. He says here in quotes, McCarthy's speaker bid turned into a mess because Trump's magic turned out to not be the help he thought it would be. First, the forces that Trump marshaled were not really his own, but borrowed. His genius was harnessing a sentiment already in the GOP that others were not willing to embrace, which meant he had limited power to command MAGA representatives who opposed McCarthy. Second, Backlash against Trumpism helped make the new GOP majority thin and precarious rather than producing a robust one where McCarthy might have won the speakership easily. And, you know, I think that's very well put, but it also shows something fairly ironic here, is that I think by kissing Trump's ass and validating the craziness of the people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Trump, he actually might have shot himself in the foot. And there's something kind of like a Greek tragedy about McCarthy is that his own spinelessness and moral failures might actually be what caused him to not become speaker. Because I think in a perfect world where Trumpism was muted, I think he probably would be speaker with the normal people there. So fun times. Again, by the time you're listening to this, he might already be speaker. But even if he is speaker, here comes my schadenfreude again. He's going to have a very difficult time. And that's probably better for the country at this point. So anyways, You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, you know the rest. Take care. We'll be back. Adios. Bye-bye.